Hello, everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by For the Glory of Old State. My name is Craig Rosal, co-editor of ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Musso, also co-editor of the website. How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing good. How about you? Great. Looking at the 2019 Citrus Bowl, we have Kentucky of the SEC ranked 14th in the college football playoff poll, meeting up with Penn State, who is ranked 12th in the college football playoff poll. Both teams had good years, Kentucky one of the best seasons in school history, while Penn State had a little bit of a setback season, but still has a chance to finish with 10 wins for the third year in a row. Just look at Kentucky, 9-3 overall, 5-3 in the SEC, and they finished second in the SEC East to Georgia, and Penn State was 9-3 as well, 6-3 in the Big Ten, and they finished third in the SEC, or the Big Ten rather, to Ohio State and Michigan. Both teams have arrived in Orlando for this game. However, Penn State arrived without backup quarterback Tommy Stevens, who also starts in the line position. We'll get to that a little bit later. We'll start with Kentucky. Just a rundown of their schedule. They started off with a victory over Central Michigan in their first game. And then the second game of the year is when they burst on the scene nationally, beating Florida 27-16 at Florida. First time in 32 years they beat them, and they did it on the road. Very impressive win for them. Yeah, that was that was kind of the, the thing for me that kind of put them on the map for me. I never really paid attention to them much, um, but you know, first time in 32 years they beat Florida. That was kind of the game that just put them over the hump and really caught my eye. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, too, the, the win and the way they did it was very impressive. They handled Florida throughout. They were up the whole game up by a big margin as well. It wasn't just some upset with a, a weird play that carried them over. Yeah. It was a dominant performance, performance by, this, exactly. by this Kentucky team. Going down the line, they handled Murray State. Then they handled Mississippi State at home. Mississippi State came in, top 15 team, beat them 28-7. to And this is a big game that you know Penn State coaching staff is looking at because obviously Joe Moorhead, former offensive coordinator at Penn State, is the head coach at Mississippi State now. So this is a game that the coaching staff from Penn State is looking at film-wise to prepare. It'll be interesting to see uh, Ricky Ronnie and James Franklin make some adjustments against this Kentucky defense based off that game. Yeah, you see you see seven points scored by Mississippi State, and you think, wow, you know, that's that's Joe Moorhead's offense. He had a lot of success at Penn State. It's just crazy how you could see how good the Kentucky defense was that they were able to, to hold Mississippi State to seven points um, and the brilliant offensive mind that that is Joe Moorhead. Yeah, absolutely. I think this this Kentucky defense is very scary. You know, looking down the line, 16 points to Florida on the road, 7 to Mississippi State. You go down to their fifth game of the season in South Carolina, easy 24-10 win, another great performance by their defense. Uh, their first loss of the season came against Texas A&M at College Station, and even that was a very good defensive game. Yeah, still uh, only 20 points allowed. It's yep. still impressive, you know. You know, A&M kind of, showed that their defense was very stout as well, allowing 14 points to Kentucky. Beat Vanderbilt 14-7, another great defensive performance. Then they went to Missouri, had a crazy game, 15-14 win, pulled it out in the end. So going into their big matchup with Georgia, they had one loss. Winner of that game won the SEC East. However, Georgia proved that to be the national power they are. They won 34-17. Yeah, you can kind of see that, you know, Georgia's a better team, really. You see all these low-scoring games they had the whole season, and then Georgia comes in and puts up 34 on them. Um, you could, that, that just tells you how much big of a caliber team that Georgia is. 
you know, their running attack, the, their quarterback, Jacob Fromm, so efficient. You know, it, it just goes to show how good of a team Georgia was, especially doing that at Kentucky when this was considered one of the biggest games in school history for Kentucky. Now the next game, upset, kind of a letdown game at Tennessee, lost 24-7. Then they finished the season strong, big win over Middle Tennessee State, and then they really demolished Louisville at Louisville, ending the, the Cardinals' very disappointing season. So they finished 9-3, and didn't play for the SEC Championship, but overall a great season for the Wildcats. So notes on the Wildcats are, you know, they've lost their last four bowl games. The last time they won a bowl game was in the 2008 Liberty Bowl. And, you know, this is their first nine-win season from 1984. And with the bowl win in the Citrus Bowl this year, it'll be their first ten-win season since 1977. Yeah, it's definitely a historic season for them. You see, like, they've... They've never been a, a football powerhouse. You always hear them, you know, they're the big name in basketball, but you never see them, you know, at the end of the in the postseason for football. As you said, they haven't won a bowl game since 2008, and they haven't had a 10-win season since 77. So, really, this is an historic season for them. The last time these teams played was the 1999 Outback Bowl. Penn State won that one, 26-14. Obviously, that was a great defense back then for the Nittany Lions. LeVar Arrington, Courtney Brown bona fide Penn State defense that they had and I believe Kentucky had quarterback Tim Couch who went number one overall right. in that year's draft to the Cleveland Browns. You know we looked at overall the team aspect of uh, this Kentucky team. We'll get into some individual guys starting with their quarterback Terry Wilson threw for over 1700 yards good enough for 12th in the SEC. 11 touchdowns eight interceptions but overall this team really relies on their running game. Benny Snell Let's talk about him, Brandon. Yeah, so Benny Snell, just not your average running back. He he really was a, a nice piece for them. Second in the SEC in rushing yards. Um, he was first in the SEC in carry, so a lot of volume for him. Just a really reliable guy for them to, to, to tote the ball every every couple downs. Yeah, and then you go to the outside, Lynn Bowden, really their main receiver, 661 yards, 62 catches, and five touchdowns. But the strength of this Kentucky team outside of their running game is that defense? It all starts with their linebacker, Josh Allen. Yeah, this this guy just this is like they, we we talked about how good their defense was. You know, a lot of low scoring affairs. This it, this guy is is the main the main factor in that. Eighteen and a half tackles for loss, the tops in the SEC. He also grabbed fourteen sacks, which the team in total only had thirty two. So almost half of the sacks came just from him. Just a force to be reckoned with in their defensive core. Some other notable things about Josh Allen. He was the 2018 Benaric Award winner, 2018 SEC Defensive Player of the Year. He also had five forced fumbles, which was the best in college football. Also a first-team All-American. Looking forward to the NFL draft. He's a six foot five, 260-pound linebacker prospect. He's, <laughs> big, big. he's a likely first-rounder, probably top 10, 15 pick. Moving over to another star defensive player for these Kentucky Wildcats, the safety Darius West. He's just kind of he's kind of a shorthand in their uh, in their secondary. He's third in total tackles. Obviously, the, he was the most the most tackles in their secondary. He has a team leading three interceptions. Just just kind of a guy that you can rely on in the safety position. This defense we mentioned Josh Allen, we mentioned Darius West. This is overall a very veteran group. They're losing seven starters after the Citrus Bowl. This is a, a Kentucky Wildcat team that's you know they're playing for school history at the same time they're playing for each other. It's a very strong senior class. So this is a team that really has a lot to play for. They're not just here and, you know, acting like this is a disappointment. So it's going to be very intriguing to see how this team comes out 
you know, especially with all the guys that are graduating. Yeah, definitely a veteran group. Actually, four of those seven guys that are gonna, they're going to be losing after this bowl game are in the secondary. So you can just tell how good the secondary is. It's going to be it's going to be a tough task for McSorley to uh, you know just move the ball around through the air. Um, might look to go to the ground, but definitely something to look out for is how experienced these guys are in the secondary. Yeah, you mentioned how this defense is very tough through the air, and it'll be interesting to see how Trace McSorley does with a month of health, um, able to rehab whatever injuries he had throughout the season. But this Kentucky defense is 17th ranked nationally in passing defense, averaging only 181 yards allowed per game. They're also pretty good with the rushing defense, 50th, allowing 150 yards per game rushing-wise. Moving over to Penn State, though. Obviously, 9-3 season, 6-3 in the Big Ten, and they finished third in the Big Ten East. Overall, a good season, but a season that you you felt that a, a break here or there, and it could be... 11-1 Eleven and one season. Yeah, there was a lot of things that were disappointing. Um, just to like, I mean, obviously the Ohio State loss was something that um, was very disappointing. Just the one point loss, and I kind of think that that triggered uh, just a downhill slide after that game. I think emotionally that they they just checked out after that, and I mean that shows in the Michigan State game. Michigan State's like a decent team, but they kind of came out and and nabbed Penn State right at the end of the game, and Penn State just just went downhill from there. Yeah, and that Michigan State game, even though there was a bye week in between, you could see that the team lost that energy, that juice. Mm-hmm. You know, they came in as 14-point favorites, and by the end of the game, they were just trying to hold on, and they almost had the interception to end the game, mm-hmm. but, you know, went right through the hands of Ari Warrior. You know, moving on to the next week at Indiana, five-point win, just a sloppy, sloppy Very win. Very sloppy, yeah. It wasn't, like, you you don't you didn't expect a crazy performance after the Michigan State game, but it really... They really struggled with Indiana, which was surprising. Yeah, and then moving on, Iowa, another tough win. Had to just hold on at the end. Michigan, obviously the big blowout. Barely even even got on the scoreboard until the last uh, minute of the game. Yeah, not a good one to look back on. Honestly, their their two best games of the season, in my opinion, were two of the last three games. The win over Wisconsin, 22-10. Very, very cold game, but they were able to control the ball with the running game played a great defensive game against the Wisconsin running game with Jonathan Taylor and that strong offensive line. Yeah, that was definitely one of the keys going into that game. It was nice to see them kind of pull them off a little bit. Yep, uh, and then, you know, the Rutgers game, that was a struggle. You know, then going into Maryland, you thought, you know, they played really well against Ohio State. They were looking to clinch a bull berth, but Penn State laid it on them, 38-3 to victory. Yeah. So and Penn State, really ending the season strong. Yeah, so Penn State struggled a lot with Rutgers. So, you know, moving into the next week, you're like, oh, I don't know, like, what what is Maryland going to do? Especially, as you said, after the Ohio State game, they seemed like they are coming into the game with a lot of momentum offensively, especially. So looking at Penn State's bowl history in the Citrus Bowl, they played in the 2010 Citrus Bowl. If, as many Penn State fans remember, they won 19-17 to over LSU in a very, very sloppy game. Tons of rain. You could tell who played or not based on the uniforms. Penn State was wearing white, and if you were on the field, you were muddy. If not, you were clean. So you could really tell who played in that game. Yeah, that was one of the biggest things I remember about that game. Just looking back, just looking at that field was just a mess. There was mud everywhere. The grass was all torn up. It was awful. And, you know, you look at the Boston College game in that bowl game yesterday, and they called it for lightning. It would be interesting to see, like, if something similar to that happened nowadays, would they call it because it's danger to the players and right. their future draft stock, especially if you look at Kentucky's Josh Allen. He's looking to go high. Would he play in that game? Yeah, geez, you have bad field conditions. There's really, really 
high chance of injury in those kinds of games. It was it was bad. <laughs> it, it was bad. But for this 2019 Citrus Bowl, what do you think a bowl win means for the Penn State program moving forward? Obviously, a win would be three straight 10-win seasons, two straight bowl wins. But you know you're losing your quarterback next year. What do you think it does for the the momentum going into the off season? Yeah, I mean, I think as you said, like the 10-win season is good. But I think when everyone looks back at this season, you just look at the Ohio State game. The one point loss, like there, there was so much, there was expectations and in going into the season and the past couple of seasons, all you saw was one point loss to Ohio State, and it's just like every like they just can't get over that hump. And I feel like a ten win season is good for people, but I think that the biggest thing they want to see is that win over Ohio State. Yeah, I the one thing I really want to see from this game is if Penn State's ahead, is for them to finish the game. Because we saw so many times this year, I'm, I'm looking at the Iowa game, the Indiana game, mm-hmm. the Michigan State game that they could have won, the Ohio State game they could have won. They did not finish those games. They couldn't put together that five-minute drive on the ground and just run out the clock, make it an easy victory. That's something that I really want to see from this Penn State team. Because I think, especially with the way Kentucky's pass offense has struggled this year, I think if Penn State can get ahead and just carry a lead in the fourth quarter, I want to see them hold it and keep tacking on you know, don't turn the ball over inside the red zone. You know, don't fumble it away at the 50 and say, you know, all right, defense, hold yeah. them down for us. I think that's something that would really be a, a good sign for this Penn State team, and I think it's something that Coach Franklin would really like to have emphasized for his last game of the 2018 season. Yeah, that's that seems to be a problem, not even just this year, just the past couple of years. It's always been... Like, can they finish? It's like, as a Penn State fan, you're like, in this era, you're just like, at, at the end of every game, you're like, are they going to hold it? What are they going to do? Are they going to fumble it again? Are they going to do this? Are they going to go three and out at the end of the game or make a stupid play call and throw the ball when you're trying to run the clock out? Just mm-hmm. like little things like that where it just, they, they add up quickly, especially when you're trying to close out a game. And I think some of that has to do with the style of offense. Obviously, the last couple of years, it's been a big strike offense where you'd have 180 yard play and you're off the field. Right. But I think that's something that has to be done where this team has been very bad in time of possession. They're 116th in time of possession nationally. Uh, it's something that at the end of the game, you can adjust your offense and say, okay, we're usually a quick strike offense. We're usually making big plays down the field. Now let's control the ball. Let's get five yards here. Yeah, that's let's, what, let's hit six. Franklin always defended his decisions at the end of the game, saying, you know, we're not going to change our identity. We've always been the big play offense. and. But there, there becomes a time in a game where you need to just run the clock out, and you can't just mm-hmm. be throwing bombs when you're up 20 points. Like You have to change your identity because that's what's going to get the job done. Yeah, power football has been around since the start of football, and I think that's something that sometimes gets away from Penn State. I think it would be something that's a really good sign for this offense and this team overall if they can seal a, a victory with a nice long drive or just... Being able to sustain drives, even if they don't score, take some time off the clock, yeah. you know, pin the Wildcats deep into their own territory, and then you can let the defense go to work, have those edge rushers get after the quarterback. Yeah, they have the talent. It just seems like every time it's like the, they can't close out the game. And you take a look at this schedule, and you see, like, apart from Michigan, they were in almost every one of these games. And, you know, Ohio State, one-point loss. Michigan State, four-point loss. Like, it's just end of the game, like like screw-ups, throws them all off, and you, you like kind of like close out a game every now and again, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, one player that will not be around for the 2019 Citrus Bowl is backup quarterback and starting line position player 
Tommy Stevens. Overall, I think it just takes away a few wrinkles of this Penn State offense. I think it makes it a little more simplified. What do you think of this overall impact of Tommy Stevens' injury? They didn't really use him a lot this year. Like, I thought they were going to use him a lot more. Obviously, he was injured um, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the season. But even when he was healthy, like they didn't use him nearly as much as, as I thought they would. Obviously, one of his big, biggest strengths is his legs, so you hope that you know this isn't something, a surgery that affects one of his legs because that's, that's, that's what he is, basically. So hopefully, if that is the issue, he comes back into the spring and he's, he's healthy enough to, to lead this team. Obviously, we saw him a lot in the Iowa game when Trace McSorley got hurt. But even then, he, you know, he threw a crucial interception and then Trace came back in. We saw him against Michigan struggle a little bit, but the whole team struggled at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm looking before the season for their team photo day. There was a picture of him in a walking boot. Obviously, Penn State and James Franklin does not release information. Um, even yesterday when they disclosed the information about him not coming on the trip, it was quoted as an unspecified injury for the surgery. You know, we don't know what the overall impact is and how this affects his future health-wise, mm-hmm. but they're really hoping for him to be ready by spring ball and so that he can compete and earn the job instead of, you know, Sean Clifford taking all the snaps and then Tommy Stevens is kind of rushing the summer ball. Looking at the current Penn State quarterback, Trace McSorley, I think he can really end his career on a strong note with a huge game. He has another month of, you know, rehab, not getting hit, not putting a lot of stress on that knee that he injured against Iowa. With a big game, he's going to seal his legacy as the greatest Penn State quarterback ever. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, I think that you could definitely say that he is one of the best quarterbacks in Penn State history. He holds a lot of records, you know, number one in, in passing yards career, number one in single season passing yards, number one in passing touchdowns. He just has a lot of records, but I think the biggest thing that you that you take away from him is that he's just a winner. This program's seen a lot of success in the last couple of years. Obviously, the Big Ten Championship, Fiesta Bowl win last year. This guy just comes out and he performs in big games. And, I mean, that's all you can really ask for from a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, if he wins 2019 Citrus Bowl, that will be 32 wins for his career, which, you know, you're averaging more than 10 wins per season. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think you can look at Trace McSorley is, you know, he's had some big games and his career has been fantastic, as you read. But I think... Combining that, it takes a higher standing than if you look at some of the quarterbacks in recent history. Obviously, Daryl Clark had two great seasons, two 11-win seasons, led them to the Rose Bowl. But, you know, they he didn't have the impact that McSorley had. Uh, I don't think Anthony Morelli is even in that category. I don't think Matt McGloin or Christian Hackerberg is even in his category. No, no, no. Michael Robinson had a, a top-10 Heisman finish. Obviously, a huge 2005 season, one that really put Penn State back in the national national outlook but even his season 2005 it was a one-year great season but then prior to that he was hopping around between uh running back wide receiver and quarterback so it's tough to say him obviously Kerry Collins is up in that discussion top 10 draft pick in the NFL obviously that 1994 team that went undefeated won the Rose Bowl that's looked at as one of the greatest offenses of all time between number one overall pick Kajana Carter Kyle Brady Bobby Ingram yeah, I think when I think when people look at that team, like you think of Kerry Collins as one of the better quarterbacks in Penn State history, um, he definitely doesn't have the numbers that McSorley has, but he was kind of the one guy that that, that broke out in the NFL. So you kind of think, well, he was he was really good. You know, yep. He had a pretty successful career and long career in the NFL. So.
took his team to a Super Bowl. Yeah. He he did. You know, I think I think Kerry Collins is definitely in that discussion and I think Todd Blackledge is up there too. Obviously they won the national championship right. with Blackledge against Georgia. He was also a first round quarterback in the NFL draft. He went to the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe. But I think Trace McSorley overall it, I think some of that has to do with the offense he played in, where it's in today's college football it's more up tempo. Obviously Joe Paterno's teams were you know, let's run the ball. Run the ball, run the ball, run the Time ball. Time possession, you know, hey, you're going to throw on third down, and that's about it. You can use a little of that right now. Yeah, <laughs> especially late in the game. But, you know, it's in recent years with, you know, Michael Robinson, Daryl Clark, the spread HD that was run under that coaching staff. But I think Trace McSorley really, he can really cement his legacy as the greatest Penn State quarterback ever if he pulls out a victory. That'd be 32 wins, and I'm sure he's going to have a great game, and it's... Penn State fans like us, I think it's going to be a pretty emotional game because Trace McSorley's meant a ton to this program. Oh, God, yeah. They've turned around the program with him, you know, him at the helm, really. You know, Even if he doesn't win this game, which obviously we want it, but he's mm-hmm. still, <laughs> he still has the numbers, and he's still done a lot for this program. Definitely still tops in the discussion for that greatest QB of all time. I agree. Uh, moving on to some draft prospects. Obviously, this is a younger team that Penn State has. But there's about five guys that are very interesting draft prospects that are underclassmen, so juniors that could declare or they could come back and stay and play their senior season. One guy is running back Miles Sanders. Sanders had you know two years of playing behind Saquon Barkley and then had a breakout season this year. Was the main ball handler, and you know you saw that shiftiness, the breakaway speed, some fumbling issues. At the same time, I think Miles Sanders is a good draft prospect. What do you think of him? And his future, do you think he comes back or do you think he goes on to the NFL? I personally don't think he is ready for the NFL. But then you, you look at the, the Penn State running backs room and there's just a lot of guys. And you saw we got two more coming in, two top guys coming in yep. this next class. Got Ricky Slade behind him. He's got just Jer- a, a, lot of, yeah, a lot of other guys behind him that, that, that could really challenge him for the job. But... I just don't think that he's ready for the NFL yet. He had a good season. Um, I think a real, another season with Penn State would really, really benefit him. I think it'd be nice to have him come back. I think he would. Obviously, I think he'd be still the main ball carrier. I don't think right. whether it's Slade or Brown or the two freshmen that are coming. I don't think they're going to take a ton of carries off him. But I think of how in the NFL, the running back position, you know, you can find guys in the third, fourth round, like Alvin Kamara, for example that are under-the-radar guys, and they're stars right away in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of life of a run, NFL running back takes a, you know, their careers are ending around age 30, 32, as opposed to maybe a quarterback that's playing that until 38, kind of like a, a Brady, that is, or Drew Brees. Right, yeah, Obviously, those more. are the greats, it's, but yeah. I think the NFL running back shelf life is a lot shorter, and I think that's something that may entice Miles Sanders. Right. Let me ask you. For example, the 2017 Rose Bowl, Chris Godwin. I don't think he was, he was definitely considering it, but I don't think he was a definite, I'm going to the NFL draft guy. Obviously, he had the huge game, a couple touchdowns, fantastic catches. Right. If Miles Sanders had, say, 175 yards, a touchdown or two, maybe a fantastic play, fantastic catch, do you think that that hype and that buzz around that game takes him into the NFL? Uh, I don't. I don't think it puts him over the edge per se, but I think that it's more of something that really, really entices him more to go. 
Because definitely, if he has like a huge performance, these draft guys, these draft analysts are going to take notice to him. Mm-hmm. NFL teams are going to take notice to him, and they're just gonna. He's just gonna kind of get all that attention, and, and it might, it might swing him to the side of you know I, I want to go to the NFL right now. Okay, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, defensive end Sharif Miller. You know, obviously he's played a lot the last couple of years. He's a junior now. What do you think of Sharif Miller? And you have a little insight on him with former. Penn State defensive end Deion Barnes. Yeah, so I'm a I was a big Deion Barnes fan. I thought he was just an electric guy on the defensive line when he played. And you know, Sharif Miller kind of reminds me of that. And that kind of goes with the fact that they're both from the Philly area. I know Sharif Miller trains with Deion Barnes right now. Deion Barnes I thought needed another year at Penn State. He was very really good talent, but another year I think would have did him well because his NFL career ended pretty quickly and he didn't really make he that came much as an undrafted free agent right yeah it, it wasn't i thought that he oversold himself a little bit so i'm hoping that sharif miller kind of gets some insight from him kind of learns the le- his lesson because i think that sharif miller isn't ready to go to the nfl yet and i think another year could really really benefit him all right now kevin givens obviously you know you look at the first game of the season kevin givens didn't play against appalachian state and you could see there was a lot of holes in that defensive line mm-hmm. where Appalachian State was just running the ball right up the gut. Pass rush wasn't the same as well. Kevin Givens, big difference maker. He's a junior now. Obviously, he was a backup last year, but he took the starting job this year, and he was fantastic. More of a smaller guy, quicker. Reminds me kind of Anthony Zettel in that, that smaller frame, but a lot quicker very and still strong. very strong. Yes. Do you think he's bound to go to the draft, or do you think he's coming back? Um, I think he's coming back only because I think feel like he's been pretty injury prone, and I don't think he's gotten all the reps that he needs to to show off what he's capable of. So I think if he comes back another year, hopefully he stays healthy, he can get the reps that will give him the more, the attention that he deserves. Mm-hmm. And I mean overall, if say if Miller and Givens come back, and you have Etor Gross Matos and Robert Windsor still, you know your whole defensive line is back. They're another year older. I think this this would be the best defensive line in the Big Ten. Pass rush-wise, they're fantastic. They had 43 sacks this year as a unit. Led you know, the if nation. they sure up the Yeah, led the nation. If they sure up that run game and those four are back and you increase the depth and the ability of the depth behind them, I think you're looking at a special group, and maybe that plays into their decision. You know, they want to be the best unit in college football next year. It'll be interesting to see if that's, that's the case. Yeah, that was something we talked about all year was – argued back and forth yep. about the defensive line. I wasn't always convinced with their ability, run-stopping ability. I thought that they were always kind of weaker up front. I thought that every running back they faced, especially I think it showed itself very prominently in the Michigan game. Yep. I thought that, that that Higdon was just pushing guys over. Like It just seems like every time they go up the middle, these guys can push for three, four mm-hmm. yards. You know, It's just like a, a simple run that should be stopped at the line. They're you know, three, yeah. four yards up the field starting off on first down, You know, second and short, you know? I think uh, talking about that Michigan game, I think it's, that's interesting because early on, I agree. Like they Higdon and that whole Michigan offensive line was pushing them around, but I think they settled in a bit and they got kind of that tension out, started playing a, a lot faster and a lot better. But then obviously that game really, really went Michigan's way. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that they got better throughout the season. But you know, as I said, we talked about this throughout the entire season. I I just was never. Like it convinced that they were, you know, one of the top got top lines that could that could stop the run. I always wanted, you know, a more stout to be more stout inside. Moving over back to the offensive side of the ball, 
two offensive linemen that have had some draft interests. First start at the tackle position, hopping between left tackle and right tackle, is Ryan Bates. Ryan Bates is a junior. I don't think he should should go, personally. What do you think? Um, no, I, I don't think that he just really was that impressive. You know, the offensive line still struggled. And, you know, I know you mentioned this before, you know, the individually they, they're probably better than they are as a unit. But it just seems that, that this guy isn't, isn't, isn't ready. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I think another year would benefit him as, as well as, I think, Connor McGovern. I think Connor McGovern, like we've, we've said, I think individually, I think Connor McGovern is a good player. I think just the unit and the cohesiveness, I think that there still weren't where Coach Franklin and the offensive line coach, Coach Limegrover, would like this unit. I think Connor McGovern would kind of like the defensive line. If they all want to come back and you know they, they got better and improved. They have something to prove. I, I think they would they would be better. Where I think with the defensive linemen, I think they are great as a unit and individually if they went their separate ways, I think it could uh, be interesting to see how high they get drafted and where they end up. Where I think the offensive line, if they're better individually and less cohesive as a unit as a defensive line. Yeah, I mean, Connor McGovern is pretty interesting for me because um, I think that out of all these people, he might be the most likely. I think that he's had a pretty like pretty quiet but pretty solid career for yep. Penn State so far. So I could see him um, moving on to the to the NFL, but I definitely hope that he's back because that's huge for us. I think one interesting thing about McGovern is he's played both the center position and the guard position at Penn State a lot. And I think that's something that NFL teams are interested in, that versatility, especially even if he ends up being a backup lineman. Our NFL teams aren't bringing in guys that play tackle only. They're playing They're playing guys that can rotate around in case of injury. They can play guard if there's an injury. They can play center. They can play right. a different guard position. So I think that's something that Conor McGovern has shown at Penn State, and I think that's something that would be very intriguing to draft scouts. So moving on to... The overall keys to the game. Uh, what do you think are some keys to Kentucky winning? Uh, I think it's just keeping the Penn State offense contained. Um, their defense has been their strong point the entire season. Um, I think that if they want to beat Penn State, they're going to have to do it the way they've won all their games this year, and it's to keep the scoring low. Yeah, I think that you know the defense has to stay off the field, and the offense has to control the ball a little bit. Where even if they don't score, they take off some time on the clock. They win the time of possession battle. Obviously, that's something Penn State hasn't been great at this year. With you know ranking 116th at time of possession, but Benny Snell can keep the chains moving. They can uh, Terry Wilson, the quarterback, can complete enough passes on third down. And that defense, instead of playing from behind where they have to defend against the run and the pass, if they can very much limit Penn State's offense and make it a passing-only offense, right. I think that doesn't play to the strength of Trace McSorley as good as he is. And, you know, Josh Allen coming off the edge, is that's a feast for him if he can come off the edge knowing they're not running the ball. Yeah, and you don't you don't know how healed Trace McSorley is. As you saw, like, that knee kind of kind of threw off his, his throwing arm and his throwing angles, and I think that he missed a lot of passes. So, as you said, if Kentucky's able to... to to push it so that they're just a one-dimensional passing offense, I think that really plays to their strengths because McSorley hasn't been that accurate. And now moving over to Penn State winning, where do you think the keys to them winning is? 
I think it's just to wear down that defense. They they really just need to control the line of scrimmage. Right. They need they need to make they need to make Allen a non-factor, which mm-hmm. is a tough it's a tough task. But if they want to win. They're going to have to wear these guys down, and they're going to have to score some points on them. Like we were saying before, if they can get a lead going into the fourth quarter and they can manage the clock, keep the Penn State defense off the field, I think that that'd be the most important thing because you don't want Kentucky. Kentucky's shown the ability to run the ball, take control of the clock. You don't want to go into the fourth quarter behind Kentucky because that's that's their strength. Right. If Penn State can have Terry Wilson trying to throw the ball over the field and try to lead them back, I think they'd be in a very good position, force some turnovers, create some forced fumbles in the backfield. I think that'd be you know ideal for Penn State. Just having a lead going into the fourth quarter, playing from ahead the whole game. What's your one bull prediction for this uh, 2019 Citrus Bowl? I think a, a bold prediction would be a Kentucky blowout. Um, wow. <laughs> I just think that, I mean, it's a bold prediction, obviously. Very but, bold. Um, but I think that uh, maybe they they get the run game going um, and they really start just pounding it up the middle on Penn State. As I said, I wasn't sold on that all season. Mm-hmm. So if they go out and start putting points up and, and Allen comes out and the defense comes out and they just hold Penn State down. Okay. Very interesting, especially with Penn State coming in as a six and a half point favorite. My bold prediction is, you know, based off the way Trace McFrolley's played this year, you know, you're not expecting him to be, you know, the way he was the last few years, but I really think he's gonna get back into that form. Almost play like he did in the Fiesta Bowl last year where he was so efficient. He was great on third down. Mm-hmm. I think he's gonna be sent out the right way. I think the coaching staff is really preparing this game plan so that's revolving around Trace McSorley. Not so that he has to do everything, but so that he could be just very efficient and be on target and create some big plays in the passing and running game. I'm going 300 yards passing, 75 rushing for Trace McSorley, and Penn State wins on the back of Trace McSorley, just like they have the last couple years. I like that. Now name one thing you are most excited to see from this game. As a football fan, I just think you have to be excited to see Josh Allen. I know he's on the other team, but he's just he's just a force to be reckoned with. He's just a really, really solid linebacker, and that's something that really excites me to see a linebacker that's that good. Now for me, it's Trace McSorley again. Mm-hmm. It's it's his last game as an Nittany Lion. Yep. Obviously, we talked about it before. I think he's the greatest Penn State quarterback ever, and you know I think it's going to be very interesting to see the end of the game especially if they have a lead and they're in the victory formation and all that. I want to see the ovation the crowd gives him as he gets off the field, the emotion he has, especially if they win. I think it's going to be something great to see from number nine. And yeah. He's QB1 for a reason. He's He's been the man the last few years. Yeah, the, the Penn State crowd really travels well, so I hope that there's a there's a big crowd on hand to, to kind of uh, send him off the right way. It's going to be a very good send-off for Trace Mastrelli, either way, win or lose. Right. Now, moving on to our sore prediction for the game. Personally, for me, I have Penn State win in 31-20. Like I said, I think Trace Mastrelli is a huge game. Miles Sanders gets active running the ball as well. I think Overall, I think they just play well as a team, and hopefully they finish off the game like we're really hoping for instead of just... On the edge of our seat yeah, at the end of the game. Like, and just oh, being like, what's going on? <laughs> so 31-20 for me with Penn State winning. Trace Mastrelli... You know, coming off the field is a victor again. What do you have, Brandon? Uh, I'm going to go 21-17 Penn State. I think the defense of Kentucky's defense is just too good for me to pick 
to go up to 31 points like you have. So mm-hmm. I, I think I think 21 is 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 the uh, the limit for Penn State, and I think that Kentucky's good enough to get some points on the board. So 21-17. As we both have Penn State winning, in that case, would be their third straight 10-win season under Coach James Franklin. And overall, I think that'd be a very positive end of the season moment moving into the off season. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed.